Justin Crystalflow, Knight of Merit of Agriculture, Gold Medalist of Society of Encouragement for National Industries, Member of Society of Scientists and Inventors of France, Foundation Member of National Society of Agriculture, Member of Association of Manufacturers and Inventors of France. Mr. J. Crystalflow's appeal to agriculturists, viticulturists, and horticulturists of the world. Laborious phalanx, to whom I have the honor to belong by my birth, I come now towards you to raise my voice in favor of a great invention, which will be, if you understand me, one of the great factors of the resurrection and prosperity of the whole world, as it means the intensifying of the production of the earth, the increasing of crops in considerable proportions, and minimizing as much as possible the manual labor appertaining to culture and the economizing of the immense sums of money which are being spent annually for fertilizers, and replacing them by this new apparatus wherein are condensed all the forces of nature. That is to say, the land magnetism, telluric currents, the electricity of the floating air, and that carried by the clouds, the sun, the wind, the rain, and even by the frost, forces which are captured and transformed into energetic electricity by this apparatus, which carries them to the soil in a feeble and continuous manner, and which renders it free from the microbes which attack the seeds and plants. Signed, J. Crystal Flow. Electroculture Electroculture is a method of applying atmospheric electricity to the fertilization of plant life, and has during the past few years developed to such an extent that it is today being practiced in many of the countries of the world, viz. France, England, Canada, Germany, Switzerland, Italy, Belgium, Denmark, Sweden, etc. Its success has been so marked that there are upwards of a million apparatus in use in these countries, and its application is extending as its benefits become better known. The discoverer of this process is a well-known French scientist, Mr. J. Crystalflow, who devoted years of research to the development and application of this process, and the apparatus which he finally perfected and patented throughout the world is the result of his efforts. The apparatus referred to is illustrated above. There is vibrating wires under the action of the wind, electricity of the floating air carried by the clouds, south and north side referenced, the thermoelectric pile, action of the sun, voltaic pile, action of the rain, telluric currents, land magnetism, the post that this apparatus is mounted on, a square post, electric depot caused by the sun and the frost, and the bolt for securing the galvanized wire. Description Terrestrial magnetism and telluric currents. The apparatus must be firmly placed on a post at least 20 feet from the ground with the horizontal pointer pointing direct magnetic south and the perpendicular pointer to the sky. Number 1. Atmospheric Electricity The currents with which the atmosphere is impregnated are captured by means of a perpendicular pointer, and the aerial wires of the apparatus, which serve as a conductor, by which means the positive atmospheric electricity is passed to the negative currents in the Earth. The horizontal pointer, which is pointing direct south, captures the terrestrial magnetism and telluric currents which surround the apparatus. 
Number 2. The Sun's Action Inside the casing of the apparatus are ridges, and outside are flanges corresponding with the thinnest parts of the casing. When the apparatus is placed in position on the post, with the pointer direct south, the rising sun naturally strikes the eastern facet of the apparatus. The flanges on the outer portion of the casing serve to deflect the rays of the sun from the thin part of the casing to the thick ridges. These flanges also being exposed to the wind cool the portion of the casing to which they are attached. The resultant difference in temperatures causes an electric depot, or store, due to the metallic particles. The same action takes place later on in the afternoon on the third facet, or western side of the apparatus. Thus, during the whole day, the sun creates an electric depot in the whole apparatus. Thermopile Attached to the lower portion of the stem of the apparatus is a tube, which consists of two pieces of metal, one being copper and the other zinc, joined together by two solderings and connected to the main stem, so that one of the solderings is exposed to the heat of the sun, while the other, being underneath, is shaded from its rays. This forms or generates an electric current from the copper to the zinc, that is, a negative and positive current, which is from there transmitted to that portion of the apparatus to which the zinc is attached. The hole becomes a thermoelectric magazine and is brought about by the action of the sun's rays and a contact of the zinc and the copper metals. The effect of cold and frost. Cold and frost both engender electricity due to the difference of temperatures transmitted to the walls or casing of the apparatus in the same manner as described in the preceding paragraph under the heading of the sun's action. Effect of wind. The wind, when blowing through the aerial wires, causes them to vibrate and capture the positive electricity with which the air is charged. Effect of the rain On the top of the apparatus is a zinc saucer, to which is riveted a copper plate. To the very contact of these two metals alone is sufficient in itself to form an electric depot, or store, and moreover the saucer forms a receptacle for moisture caused either from the humidity of the atmosphere, the rain, the frost, or the dew. This action on the zinc and copper saucer converts it into a voltaic battery. The apparatus itself, being metallic and placed on a high post, is cold and naturally serves to draw the moisture from the atmosphere. All this electrical energy gathered by the apparatus is the positive electricity of the atmosphere, which is transmitted to the soil by means of the galvanized wire. The galvanized wire in the soil is directed in a straight line, direct magnetic north, for any distance required. This serves to capture the magnetic land currents. It is the combination of positive electricity from the atmosphere and the negative electricity from the earth which causes continual flux and reflux of natural electricity in the soil. This current destroys all the insects and parasites which attack plant life by the very fact that the vibrations caused are proportionately greater than the vibrations of the insects themselves. Chemical transformations are formed which will give to vegetation the fertilizing elements and nitrogenous products which are necessary to the flourishment and development of plant life. Notes by M. Justin Crystalflow. As far back as 1749, Abbe Nallet, who seems to be the first scientist who had noted the effects of electricity on vegetation, announced that electricity contributed to the evaporation of the soil, facilitating the germination of seeds and increased the quickness of the ascension of the sap in vegetation.
1783, Abbe Bertillon not only made known the role of atmospheric electricity on vegetation in one of his works, but made its practical application with an electro-vegetometer, which he invented. At a much later period, a Russian scientist, Speknov, perfected the electro-vegetometer, invented by Abbe Bertillon, and noted an overproduction of 62% for oats, 56% for wheat, 34% for linseed. Mr. Speknov, furthermore, has found that the composition of the soil is modified by the action of the currents. Towards the end of the last century, Brother Paulin, the director of the Agricultural Institute of Beauvais, invented a new apparatus, the geomagnetophere, which gave wonderful results, especially as regards grapes, which were richer in sugar and alcohol. Their maturity was more hastened and more regular. It is shown by all the experiments made to this day by scientists that the lands which were submitted to electricity have given crops that are more than one-third double or even treble according to the effectiveness of the apparatus and to the care given to its installation, and moreover, that these crops are preserved from the microbes, the parasites, and the epidemic diseases which are the ruination of agriculturists, these microbes, etc., being destroyed by electricity. In order that I should not be accused of invoking the testimony of scientists who are long dead, it is pleasant for me to record the irrefutable testimony of experiments made with my apparatus by a number of persons of good repute, who are actually living, who can be questioned, and whose experiments have been, in some cases, certified to by an officer of the municipality. J.C. Installation Instructions 1. Fix the apparatus firmly on the top of a 25-foot post and make secure with a wooden peg in the hole on the southern facet of the apparatus. 2. Bury the post 5 feet and face the pointer of the apparatus direct south, magnetic, and the head of the apparatus magnetic north. This is absolutely essential, as the entire functioning of the apparatus depends on this. Three. Tar the top of the post which is inserted into the apparatus and also the five foot of the post which is buried in the ground. 4. Attach number 12. Gauge soft pliable galvanized iron wire to the bolt between the washer and the apparatus by a single eye. Loop and wind the end tightly around the main down wire for six inches. Then solder the end to make good contact. See figure D, page 11. 5. Insulate the main wire with four orb porcelain insulators down the side of the post, care being taken that the wire is kept taut. See figures A and B, page 11. 6. Use three stays or guy wires to prevent the post from swaying in a heavy wind. 7. Bury the wire 10 inches deep in a straight furrow running from the post in a line direct magnetic north to the end of the strip of land which is to be electrified. In cases where the ground is to be plowed, the wire must be buried at least four inches deeper than the depth of the plow. See page 11. 8. Use a double insulator similar to those used for wireless aerials at the base of the post under the ground, where the main wire turns at right angles from the post along the furrow. The wire is threaded through the insulator, which is attached to the base of the post by three short strands of strong wire 
After the main wire has been correctly laid and fixed at each end, i.e. at the bolt of the apparatus and the peg at the northern extremity of the field, the short strands of wire holding the insulator at the base of the post are then twisted, or twitched up as taut as possible, thus making the main wire in the furrow and down the post tight. See page 11. 9. Where the wire is cut off at the northern boundary, it is twisted firmly around a peg in the ground, and the end of the wire is buried 8 inches. 10. When establishing the correct direction for the furrow with a compass, it should be placed on a piece of dry board and never directly on the ground or within close proximity to any iron matter or wire, etc., as the earth currents and iron will influence the compass. 11. The successful working of the apparatus depends entirely on the precise direction of the pointer of the apparatus being south, magnetic, and the underground wire being direct, magnetic north. 12. It is necessary to use dry timber for the post on which the apparatus is fixed, as green timber is apt to warp and thus throw the point of the apparatus out of direction. 13. It is advisable to test the direction of the pointer from time to time in case the post has twisted. A good method for doing this is to drive two wooden pegs into the post about five feet apart from each other in a line directly under the pointer, the points thus being kept in an exact line. It is then easy to test the direction of the pointer by looking upwards from the bottom peg to the top point to see if all three are still in line. If not, it is necessary to reset the apparatus with a good compass. 14. Care must be taken to remove any roots or stones which lie in the course of the furrow. 15. The wire must not be wound around the insulators on the post, but passed down the side and made fast to the insulator by means of a piece of light gauge tie wire. See figure B, page 11. Application to Vines Provided with Wires The electrifying of vines that are on wires is very simple and is considerably helped by the wires which are themselves charged with electricity. As the apparatus influences a strip of ground 14 feet wide, if the rows of vines are 14 feet or less apart, it is advisable to place the post with the apparatus on it at the southern end, equidistant between the rows, and run the wire in a straight furrow down the center of the rows to a point direct north, magnetic, from the apparatus. In cases where the rows are more than 14 feet apart, the apparatus can be placed at the southern end of each row, and the wire directed in a furrow running north and within a few feet of the butts of the vines. As a second method of applying the apparatus to a row of vines, see diagram on page 13, the main wire from the apparatus may be attached to the top wire of the trellis, provided that the wire is a suitable nature i.e. 12 or 12.5 gauge, soft and pliable, galvanized iron wire and droppers of the same gauge wire are attached. See diagram on page 13. The dropper wire is to protrude for 16 inches above the main top trellis wire, then passed in a perpendicular direction down and buried 18 inches into the ground. Of the two methods, the former is most advisable. In both cases, it is essential, of course, that the rows of vines run direct south-north, magnetic. Note, as the electricity goes well beyond the end where the wire has been cut off, and in order to prevent this escape into a neighboring field, 
A barrage can be easily established by burying one peg at each extremity and fixing the same gauge wire and at the same depth as the main wire six feet from the northern boundary. For vines running east and west, erect posts 20 feet above the ground to carry the apparatus at the southern end of the vineyard. The posts 14 feet apart, with an 8-foot strainer post directly opposite, each apparatus at the north end of the field, connect number 12 or 12.5 gauge soft and pliable galvanized iron wire to the apparatus, insulating it down the post for 13 feet. Then connect, using insulators, with the strainer post on the northern boundary, the wire passing over each trellis to be connected to a dropper of the same gauge wire. But droppers to be left 16 inches above the aerial wire and buried 18 inches in the ground. See diagram on page 54. The effect of the apparatus on the vines, apart from destroying insects, parasites, etc., by the very fact that the vibrations caused in the ground are higher than the vibrations of the insects themselves, is to create fertilizing matter, and the nitrogenous products which give to each vine prodigious strength, thus enabling it to successfully resist mildew and odium. For three years, the spraying and sulfuring of vines may be greatly decreased and after five years can be eliminated altogether. Electrified vines will increase the crop in a considerable proportion and the grapes themselves will be richer in sugar and in alcohol, thus making them more suitable for export trade. Application to a row of trees When a row of trees is to be electrified, no matter what its length may be, provided that it runs direct south-north, the apparatus is placed on a post 20 feet above the ground at the southern end of the trees. And as is the case with vines, if the rows of trees are 14 feet or less apart, Place the post with the apparatus equidistant between the rows at the southern end, and run the wire in the furrow down in the middle of the rows in a direct line to a point on the northern boundary. If the rows are more than 14 foot apart, place the apparatus and post near the head of the row, and run the wire in the furrow north from it, passing within a few feet of the butts of the trees. Trees treated in this manner will be more vigorous and make quicker growth and the fruit produced is larger, sweeter, and will ripen two weeks in advance of the non-electrified trees. The fruit contains more alcohol, and will keep better, and thus be more suitable for export trade. Cereals will contain more carbohydrates. Application to Isolated Trees Electrification of a Single Tree It is very easy to electrify one single tree. The apparatus is placed within three feet of it, the tree being north of the apparatus. The galvanized wire is buried 15 or 16 inches at the base of the tree, and a few buckets of water, preferably rainwater, are thrown where the wire is buried. After a few months, the tree will gain a new vigor, and if it is ailing, it will throw out new shoots and will rapidly improve. Electroculture by George Blanchard Scientific Chat The omission of a correction in the text of a pamphlet makes me state that electricity killed all the parasites of the soil. This word all is misleading at least in what concerns electricity of low voltage, such as supplied by the crystal flow apparatus, for currents able to kill all parasites would also destroy vegetation. 
Atmospheric electricity, like all currents of low intensity, destroys cryptogamic diseases of vegetation, which is already a great point. Currents of 110 and 220 volts are more deadly to plant parasites than low currents, but they are not innocuous to the plant itself. If a current of 110 volts is conveyed to the soil during several hours per day, it can, as shown by M. Breton, exercise a slightly favorable influence on vegetation. But the Hungarian professor Kovassi shows in 1912 that the same current applied continuously was absolutely detrimental to vegetation, which it eradicated altogether. I intentionally pass over all the other methods of applying electricity to cultivation, i.e. induction currents, high-tension electric light, ultraviolet rays, etc., they are all mentioned in the minutes of the first Congress of Electroculture that was held at Rheims in 1912 under the presidency of Professor Armand Gautier. They have for me an experimental value, certainly, but they are less interesting than the method which I am about to relate. Proofs are forthcoming daily in favor of this theory, which is the only rational method of applying electricity to the life and to the diseases of plants, of human beings, and of animals and this formula will purvey the whole of the electrotherapy and electroculture, i.e., the continuous flow of a current of low intensity. The recent scientific work of A. Lumiere tells us of organic liquid composed of celloids, whose grains called by him micelles, or electrical granules, are charged with contrary electricity inside and outside. However, we view this world of infinitely smalls, animated by continuous movement due to the attraction of the contrary poles, and to repulsions of identical poles, and we see ourselves forced from deduction to deduction to consider the electrical fluid as the true vital fluid regulating the circulation of the sap, like that of blood, and performing its task of exchange and favoring all the exchanges and the elaboration of the indispensable products to the maintenance of life. Although they are in the domain of hypothesis, it is well to meditate upon the conceptions of Chardin and Lumiere, for they are not contrary to any scientific principle, and no one has so far doubted them. Electricity is so weak that it almost escapes our investigations. Chardin easily concludes it is ridiculous to come to its help with powerful currents. If it is stated that electricity has caused cures by suggestion to human beings, one cannot have such pretension as regards an animal or a plant. I was therefore already cognizant of this method and convinced of the bad effects and the uselessness of the currents which gave shocks when by chance I became acquainted with the process of electroculture as practiced by M. Crystalflow. I was immediately attracted by the way the electricity acted on vegetation showing thus the greatest analogy with its actions on human beings and animals. Analogy between the feeble current applied in puerile culture and the feeble current applied to the culture of plants. Analogy between the human and veterinary therapeutical action and the curing of the diseases of vegetation. Analogy between the fatal action of intense currents on human beings and animals and that no less fatal action of those currents on plant life. I would therefore have lacked curiosity if I have not studied electroculture comparatively, as it touched so much on the electrotherapy which I practiced. This is how I became, therefore, a fervent disciple of electroculture. 
It is not through candor I became an apostle of the crystal flow method, and my convictions repose on the experiments I have made personally. Abby Nolette, Secretary of the Academy of Science, Berthelon, Paulin, Spaknoff, Becquerel, and the great Marceline Betherol were not hallucinated persons. Have not the two last mentioned shown the indisputable influence of electricity on the fixation of the nitrogen by the soil and the plants? Is it not already known that under the influence of the current, the nitrification of the soil is produced, giving birth to the nitrates, to the cyanamide, which are excellent fertilizing nitrogenous elements? When a plant is submitted to absolute darkness, not only does it not develop, but rapidly perishes. Whereas if a feeble electric current is passed into the vase which contains it, the plant will not only develop itself, but will reach perfect fructification. In order to explain this fact, Mr. Basti stated at the Congress of Rhymes that the artificial current replaced in this case, the solar electricity which is indispensable to vegetation. One finds in the electrified plots of land double the humidity of that in the comparative plots, and this is explained by the liberation of molecules of water due to the chemical reactions of electrolysis, as shown by the incontestable superiority of electroculture over the chemical manures in times of drought. The above scientific statements can only interest agriculturists by exposing to them the practical results obtained. I will not refer to the experiments made at Metz by the French government, for the results of these experiments have been communicated to the inventor himself and not to me. I could again speak of the marvelous results obtained in Belgium in the culture of beetroot with the chemical analysis attached, and also of the results made known to me by the Society of Electroculture of Switzerland, and of those results obtained in foreign countries. All those results will be published later on. For the time being, my readers would be quite correct in stating those countries are far away, and it is therefore difficult to control those experiments. Let us speak, therefore, of the French experiments exclusively. Must one tell the skeptics and the incredulous that two years successively a grower has been able to crop two beautiful crops of beetroot, and one knows how beetroot drains the soil, so much so that it is generally grown in the same soil but every third year? One of my correspondents, Mr. Fernand Frison, 56 Abington Street, Cambrai, told me of a fact which is still more extraordinary. A field of rye was cut when 22 inches high and given to cattle. The rye grew again and had beautiful ears. The second time it was cut, I noted some of the shoots were 4 feet 6 inches high. The stalks and the ears of the second crop were more beautiful than those in the neighboring field, which had not been cut when green. Please note that usually one never cuts two crops of rye. On the 16th of August, 1925, I gave a conference at the Agricultural Commerce of isle sur le dubes into which the professors of agriculture of that region attended. During my conference, I cited the following results, which were obtained at the place named Qua demission on a plot of land that was electrified. The oats crop there have grown on an average four feet and had 54 grains to the ear. On the comparative crop, which was not electrified, the average height of the oats was 32 inches and the ears contained but 29 grains. 
It is necessary to state that the crop of oats for that year was somewhat deficient, and the agriculturists who were present admired the results of the crop that was electrified and rendered homage to facts. Thank you for listening to this sample. To continue listening to this book and for access to all of our other full audiobooks, please subscribe for $7.77 per month. Go to adultbrain.ca or follow the link in the show notes. This will be a completely separate podcast with a new RSS feed and will have all the titles from this feed as well. Thank you for your help and support in bringing rare and forgotten books to audio for the world.